You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. You can open your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's going to take me a few minutes to get there. So before we head over to 1 Corinthians, so we're in a, we're talking about the power of revelation and what revelation is, is, is knowledge that the Holy Spirit imparts to us. And we'll, we should be looking at a good definition of this in a little bit. Knowledge that the Holy Spirit imparts to us that, that really, when the Bible talks about revelation knowledge, it's talking about something that it's impossible for us to get through natural sources. It is something that God shows us. It can be inherently spiritual, something about himself, something about his word often is. It can also be something going on in life. It can be you're having to deal with somebody and there's an attitude that comes up and, and you don't know it's there and the Lord can warn you about that or show you that or give you a different way of handling an interaction or a relationship. It can, it's all over the place. But I want to start here. I, I uh, had to go up to Crested Butte, I guess it was Thursday this week, uh, it was the day that we'd had a little bit of weather coming in overnight, and uh, drive up there early in the morning for this appointment, and the, you know, it was, the clouds were low, and once I got around the corner by Roaring Judy and headed up that way, the clouds were low, and they were really streaming out of the west, and and the Lord, I'd been praying on the way up there, and the Lord just reminded me of this um, this image, this vision that he gave me in prayer years ago. It was probably 1986 or 7. It was very early when we were just starting to get an inkling that God was leading us toward full-time ministry. We were living in Durango and um, praying over that valley, praying over the people that were there and uh, helping out at church and just doing the things that you do as a Christian. And, And so we were, this day I was in intercession, praying over the valley, praying over the move of God in that valley. And the Lord gave me this image that came up in my heart, and he, and he brings it up from time to time. And, and it was certainly for us and what God was going to do in our lives, but it was a lot broader than that. And so the picture was of, you know, and at that time, kind of stand there at the north end of that valley and looking up the valley, and, and there were clouds like that, just rich, full, wet clouds just pouring down over the valley, but they were staying up. And there was like a, I don't know how to describe it, almost like a sheet of transparent plastic at the bottom or something that was holding those clouds from touching, you know, the the valley and the people and all of that. It was just flowing over. And I knew, as the Lord was showing me that, that it was about the glory of God in those clouds, the outpouring that he wanted to do, the the richness of his spirit and and everything that Jesus died on the cross to give to people, the abundant life that he died to give us. It was about God's desire to pour that out into the streets and the people and everything in our our valley. And, And so I was praying over that. And then he showed me, had me, it was like I was able to stand up and just slice that, that barrier and and all of that moisture just poured down and hit the north end of town and then flooded through the streets it was like something you'd see with with a tidal wave you know we've seen those videos of 
something like that, water coming in and, and just rushing through the streets and, and affecting everything, carrying everything away. And, and it flowed into the houses and through and out of the houses and, and all of that and down the valley. And at the time, because we were living there and, and um, you know, we were just figuring out what God was going to do with us. I took that, and I think it was, it was a very personal word to us. It was about our activity, whether in prayer or in lifestyle, opening those floodgates, not just for us, but for people into what God wanted to do in the valley. And, and he had, you know, it's just a picture of reaching up and just slicing that thing open and letting all that pour down. And a couple of years later, the Lord called us to go back to Believer Center in Albuquerque. And uh, that was one of the things that confused me about that is I thought we were going to be in Durango forever and, you know, be doing whatever we would do there. And then the Lord was calling us back to Albuquerque. And the, and the word he gave me about that, because that was one of the things I prayed over was that vision, Lord, did I miss you? And I knew I didn't miss him. It was way too impacting in my own heart to have missed him. Um, but what the word that he gave me specifically there was, I, I, can't, uh, I can't have you do here in Western Colorado what I need you to do, I can't have you do that from here. You've got to go back there to do what I need you to do here. Well, okay, so that's what we did. I didn't know exactly what that meant either, but uh, and we were there for about nine years in in the ministry and you know and uh, working at the church and all of that before we came up here. But for but I still questioned. It's like, but that was. That was that valley. And, le and let me say this. At that time, the Western Slope was a really hard place spiritually. Much, it's, it's changed tremendously. There were very, very few places that you could go if you wanted to. Uh, very few places that were allowing the Holy Spirit to move and allowing and were preaching the, the, the word of God in its full capacity that weren't just kind of in a religious structure. Okay, it was, there were a couple. I think new creation was already there. Uh, but boy, very few. And we used to go from town to town. We, we were just mountain biking, but we'd get there and we'd start crying over all these towns, you know, because of the hardness that was there. And we'd intercede for these towns. So, so... I've realized over the years that while that did apply to Karen and I and where God was calling us and, and to be here on the, on the Western Slope ministering, it's much bigger than that. And, and as I was driving up the valley here, the Lord brought that back to me. And he was really speaking to my heart that, you know, this isn't, it isn't about, it is about us and our ministry, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's about every one of you. It's about the church that God is calling to impact and influence with the kingdom of God for him, this whole region. And it's about every one of you and the fact that he, you know, Jesus never called an anemic, uh, an anemic church, a powerless church. Jesus gave us a big assignment. You know, not each one of us individually, but he sent his church to reach the whole world. 
And he empowered the church with the Holy Spirit to do that. He never intended for us to be out there just presenting a set of doctrinal ideas. To just try and convince people with a good argument. He empowered the church. In fact, he wouldn't let the church, he wouldn't let the early church, he wouldn't let them leave Jerusalem until they received the power of the Holy Spirit. He never called us to just be out there giving a good argument or trying to be good and do good things or trying to just do community service type things without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's that anointing of the Holy Spirit that causes the words that you speak to a neighbor or a friend or something to impact their heart. It's not just because you're smart and give them a good speech. You can have a really good argument and that's okay. And you should know what you believe and why and all that's okay. But we need to be trusting God every day, whether it's to pray for somebody to be healed and God demonstrate his love for them in that way, or whether it's what we say to them or whether it's taking them groceries or spending a night with them when they're having a hard time. It doesn't matter what it is. Our trust needs to be in what the Holy Spirit would do through us because he wants that glory that essence of himself. He wants every person around us to experience that in a real way. He, he never set out to just establish a religion in, the, in that sense. I mean, I, I don't like the word religion because Christianity, while people have made it a religion, it's a relationship with God that's full of his life and full of his power. And, and so that vision is for all of us. It is every one of us, everywhere we are, anybody who would give themselves to saying, Lord, I am here and I desperately want to see your glory and your kingdom completely transform, wash through the homes, wash through the marriages, wash through the churches, wash through the businesses, just, just your influence and the glorious, wonderful life that you have for people flooding our streets and flooding homes and flooding minds and flooding hearts. It's every one of us. It's the church that Jesus called. That's why I'm talking to you about, I, I don't, I feel like I'm, my words in this particular series are really inadequate to convey what I'm trying to convey, that we need to be living our lives on what the Spirit of God is saying and impressing and leading and doing and our trust in everything we do in His ability as we do the natural thing. The natural thing that you do, again, whether it's having a conversation with somebody or serving somebody, how the natural thing that we do is only as powerful as who we're trusting when we do it. And and so does that make sense to you? So I just, I feel like the Lord brought that back for me to remind us of that he has this huge, for lack of a better term, this huge benefit package to give to people. You know, Jesus said that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He came to give us life and life more abundantly, right? That life we like to put things like that, the abundant life. Yep, the abundant life. Boy, I can't wait to get to heaven to have the abundant life. That's now and, and future. But we like to relegate that stuff into, Bill Johnson says it this way, into a time that we have no responsibility for, rather than saying, 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's for now. God wants people's lives transformed and them to experience that abundant life now. It's not going to be perfect till he comes back. We're going to fight battles. We're going to have, you know, till the devil is locked up, we're going to have some problems, no doubt. But what we need to be pulling on, what we need to be opening up for people is the fullness of the life that Jesus came to give. This isn't just about heaven. This isn't just about giving your life to the Lord and then we hang out here and do the best we can until heaven comes along. That's pushing that into a time where I don't have any control over that. I don't have any responsibility is the word over that. I do have responsibility over this. And every one of us have responsibility over this time in which we live. Why did God put us, think of all the different times you could have lived in. Think of all, and yet he decided this was the time that he wanted you on the earth. And he wanted you knowing him and releasing him. He wanted you here now. There's a reason for that. And, you know, we can, I, I sometimes think back to all these different times. And, oh, it would have been cool to live then, you know. Well, this is the time. This is our time. Okay. So as we look at these verses today, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to try in the next 20 minutes to go through this whole chapter as much as I can. Um, I... I want us to look at this. I want to see what was going on with Paul in, in his time. And let's just begin here in verse 1. And I'm just going to read this to you from the NIV. I'm probably going to spend a fair amount of time reading to you from the Passion Translation because 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is a, has been a really important chapter in my own life. And so I go there a lot and I take you there a lot and I want it to strike us freshly. So uh, we will, once we get to verse 6, we're probably going to read that from the Passion Translation so it hits us a little bit differently. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, the first five verses, Paul says, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved, notice that I resolved, this is a choice he made and a determined choice. I resolved, that's strong language, to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. All right, let's just stop there for a second. So got to understand Corinth was Greek culture. In general, it was a place where human intellect and education was worshipped, literally worshipped. Again, any, whatever exerts the most influence on you and your decisions, that's what, what you actually worship, no matter what you say. For all of us, it's true. So in their culture, it was education. It was, it, was, it was wisdom, it was, it was intellect, human intellect. And Paul comes into this environment, and Paul was a scholar. Paul was rising in Judaism. He was, you know, he was a scholar, and he was a smart guy. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But he resolved, when he, and, and he makes it clear here that it intimidated him to go among these people. But what he did, the way he approached that was rather than saying, okay, I've got to really sharpen up and I've got to have the very best argument for the gospel that I can. I've got to use really eloquent words. I've got to match these scholars. I've, I've got to come among them and get them to look at me and exalt me. Instead of doing that, he, res he said, I resolved to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Now it tells us elsewhere in the scripture that 
Christ crucified was a stumbling block to the Jews. It was an offense to the Jews that their God would do this. I mean, God would never do that. And to the Greeks, it was just foolishness. It was like, so you think your, your God gave his life and died and somehow that gives you life? And the answer is, uh-huh. And, it, and the reason it's uh-huh is because God thinks totally differently than we do. That's why when, when we need uh, more in some area of our life, God says, plant seed, give into that area. Instead of just trying to take from that area, if I need more friends, I got to show myself friendly. If, if I need an increase, I need to give of myself into that area. It's, you know, it's the same. It's one of those upside down kingdom principles. Jesus died, took our sin, died to give us life. Okay, so to the, to the people he was going to talk to, absolute foolishness. This is absolute foolishness. And they were arrogant. You can read in the book of Acts and different places about the way they looked at Paul. I mean, they called him a babbler. What's this babbler trying to say? You know, there was that human intellect being exalted always produces arrogance. Always. It, it's, well, we're smarter than you. Okay. And God, I think, just on the one hand laughs at that. And on the other hand, just goes, okay, well. I'll do it this way that makes no sense to you and totally transform the world, you know, totally transform everything. So this is where, that's what he was going into. And, and I think in our society, there's that element of exalting uh, far too high human intellect and education and, and science and some of those things. Not that they're bad, I'm just saying we exalt them to a level they don't belong and, and corrupt them in that way. And then also, I think in our society, entertainment, you know, having a lot of charisma. There's a lot of preachers today that are dependent on being cool, being charismatic, looking good, doing things that way. Obviously not one of them. But, you know, there, there's this outward presentation that there's too much dependence on that. There's too much dependence on that. The gospel is the gospel. And it is what it is. It is Christ crucified. And so Paul says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. I came to you, here's verse three, in weakness and fear and with much trembling. He was intimidated by this whole thing. But he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Just get that first. So I'm going to go in and I'm going to resolve it will be the Spirit's power that does at least a couple of things. Carries the words that I speak about Christ and Christ crucified into the hearts of people. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can do that. It is the anointing that carries the word into the hearts of people. You can, you can try to separate God's word. You can preach a message separated from God's Spirit. Just, again, a doctrine. And it'll be lifeless. I can remember being in a, a church at one time where uh, there was the, the pastor, um, anyway, he, he would listen to a message from somebody else and then basically repeat it phrase for phrase. And when you listen to the original message, it was anointed and it was powerful. And when he repeated it phrase for phrase, there was no life in it. It was still a good, there were good thoughts. There was no life. It's the spirit who gives life to the word. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. 
we're, we're in a day now where it's getting more and more prevalent. I think it's been this way for a long time. But anyway, more and more prevalent that the word and the spirit, people aren't trying to separate them so much anymore. We're recognizing we need the word and we need the presence and they, they go together. You really can't. The spirit inspired the word. Okay, so see, this is why I met with you on Thursday afternoon and I had just been meditating all of this and our conversation was exactly about this. Maybe that was because I couldn't say anything else. I don't know. But anyway, so Paul comes along and says, you know, it's not just wise and persuasive words, but it's going to be a demonstration of the Spirit's power. There was also the demonstration of the Spirit's power in in healing, in raising the dead, and casting out devils, all the things Jesus said that we would do. It goes along with it. But he says, so that, this is important, why am I going to depend on the Holy Spirit? So that your faith, Corinthians, your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. That's important. If we're presenting just doctrine and argument, and and by argument, I don't mean contention, I just mean you know, a good, a good argument, a good, uh, I don't know what I mean. You know what I mean. Um, if, if we're just presenting it that way and somebody accepts our presentation, the facts about what Jesus did, their faith is going to rest on what they just received. Their faith is going to rest on a good argument. So when somebody sits down with them and from a different viewpoint, a different religious viewpoint or a different secular viewpoint gives them a more you know, uh, palatable or more popular or for some reason in their mind what seems like a more logical argument, they're going to choose that one because all we gave them was an argument. However, if we are ministering to somebody and what they're impacted by, we give them the word, we give them the doctrine, but what hits them is an encounter with Jesus Christ, that's really hard to undo. That's really hard. You can come. I, I don't care how many, uh, you know, I don't care how many letters you have behind your name. I don't care how smart you are or what. I, I don't care. And, and you try to present your side. I have had an encounter with the Lord. He is alive. He has impacted my heart and my life, and I don't care. People say, well, what if, they, what if they find life on other planets? Then what are you Christians going to do? Worship the Lord. You know, I, I don't, the, you know, the Bible, the Bible is about God. It's what he reveals about us and our relationship to him. It's a big universe. There might be other critters out there that he made. I don't know. I don't see anything contradictory in this, but I've had people say, well, then what are you going to do? Nothing. I've, I've met, I'll go ask Jesus about it, I guess, because that'll be cool. You know, you've got some other critters. Awesome. We get to worship for eternity with them. This is cool. I, you know, or whatever the thing is, whatever the thing is that would try to undo, you can't undo it because it's like you can't tell me that Karen doesn't exist. You can't tell me that because I'm in a relationship with her. I've known her for more than a decade. Uh, I've known her for a long, long time. You can't tell me she doesn't exist. And you can't tell me Jesus doesn't exist because I've had very real experiences with the Lord and the Spirit of God. So we want our dependence as we minister to people to be on 
what the Spirit has given us to do so that there's that spiritual impact in their lives. Does that make sense to you? All right, we got to hurry. You people got to quit slowing me down. Um, so so he, he says this, and, and he goes at this. Paul goes at this from this perspective of, I want their faith to rest on the power of the Spirit, on what the Spirit does in their life. You got that? So verse 6, I'm going to switch to the Passion Translation here. It says, however, there is a wisdom that we continually speak of when we are among the spiritually mature. It's a wisdom. Okay, so what is that? That is a knowledge of God and its practical impact in life. It is a knowledge that comes from God. And he says, what we speak to the spiritually mature, what we speak to one another, it's a wisdom that didn't originate in this present age, nor did it come from the rulers, or I like to say the big shots of this age, who are in the process of being dethroned. All right, he says, the wisdom that we bring that we speak uh, to one another, the way we present the word of God, there is a wisdom that we speak from, a, a revelation from God that we speak from. It didn't originate in this age. It didn't originate on this earth. He's, he's bringing something that is a spiritual truth. All right, he's bringing something that is a spiritual reality. It didn't originate here, didn't originate with the authorities, you know, on this earth who, who think they know everything. It didn't originate there. And he said, we bring that. And he said, besides all those authorities, they're in the process of being dethroned. They're going to, if they're contradictory to what the word says, it's going to be shown to be wrong anyway. You've got to always remember that truth is timeless. Truth, spiritual reality is timeless. I've had people, uh, you know, again, uh, uh, I don't have time to talk about it, but I've had debates usually online with, with people about different issues where I was trying to present a, a spiritual reality, something that... Uh, you know, is in the scripture and his life and, and all of that. And, um, uh, and I've been told, oh, well, that's old school. That's just old school. That's just, you know, that, that may have been true 50 years ago, but that's just not true. And it's like, no, if it's truth, it's timeless. It's eternal. It fits in every time. It fits in every culture. That's truth. That's God's truth. That's the way it is. If it doesn't fit, if it's, if it's not true about life, then it's not truth. If it changes constantly with the culture and with what we think, that's not truth, okay? We may reject truth, but we don't, we don't change truth. So in verses 7 and 8, he said, Instead, we continually speak of this wonderful wisdom that comes from God, hidden before now in a mystery. It is his secret plan destined before the ages to bring us into glory. That glory there, it doesn't mean heaven. It means the essence of who God is. This, this wisdom from God, truth, brings us into a life engaged in who God is. The very essence of his nature and being and will for our lives. None of the rulers of this present world order understood it, for if they had, they never would have crucified the Lord of shining glory. So he's saying if they'd, you know, if the rulers of this world had gotten it, they never would have gone along with the plan and crucified Christ, which undid everything that they were trying to do. This word mystery, when we find it, this is good. It, it means, this word mystery, he says that this, this wisdom from God, spiritual reality, it was hidden before now in a mystery, okay? That word means 
not something mysterious like we would say with the English term, but that which, get this, being outside the range of unassisted natural apprehension can be made known only by divine revelation. So it's something that's outside the range of unassisted natural apprehension. In other words, God has things to show us that we could never get on our own. We could never get just through human um, intellect. We could never get just with research. We could never get God has a much bigger picture than that. And he wants to give us that. And it's called a mystery. It's, it's outside and it can only be known by divine revelation. This is what this word means that's in your Bible. Okay, This isn't me. This is the definition of this word. It is made known in a manner and a time appointed by God. We seek God. God brings revelation. Okay, And only to those who are illuminated by his spirit. It only comes through the Holy Spirit. All right? Paul's going to talk more about that. Uh, in just a minute. So it's not just something hidden and unknowable in God. And so, oh, God's so mysterious and we can never know. It isn't that. It's something in him that he's then revealing. It's something in them in, in him that he's uncovering. All right. Verses 9 and 10 says, this is why scripture says, things never discovered. This is a quote from the Old Testament. Things never discovered or heard of before. Things beyond our ability to imagine. These are the many things that God has in store for all of his lovers. But God now unveils. Um, I want to read this to you from another translation right here. This is how most of you have probably heard this before. And it is a quote from the Old Testament. Says in verse 9, however, it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. All right, that's a quote from the Old Testament. No, we haven't we haven't even conceived of what God has prepared, but it says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard. That's the idea. We can't we can't get this just through our natural senses. We cannot comprehend everything that God has for us through the natural senses. We can't. And, and there are people who take that passage and, and stop right there in verse 9. See, God's a mystery. You can never know him fully. He's just to be revealed, revered. He's, he's, just, he, he's just this big, you know, shrouded mystery. There's no way you can know. Well, read the, read the next verse. It, it says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. God is in the process of revealing things to us by his spirit that we could never know on our own. And this is why it's so important. If we're going to go out and minister to people, we're going to just live the Christian life. We need what the spirit is revealing. We need to develop a relationship with him and receive what he's showing us that's beyond what we can just get on our own. It doesn't mean we should be stupid. It doesn't mean we shouldn't study. It doesn't mean we shouldn't research and look at things and, and all that. That's all fine. But where's our dependence for life? Where's our dependence on figuring out, have you ever tried to have a relationship with anybody? It can be kind of complicated. You know, you'd think we'd be good at this by now. We're not. And a lot, and we're, it, you know, it's like trying to relate and understand and love somebody for a lifetime. It's like you need the Spirit of God to open things so that you can really understand where their heart is because we don't get it. We only get where our heart is. But God can show us that just as one example. It says, but from the passion, 
God now unveils these profound realities to us by the Spirit. He has revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest ministries. Do you get that? He has revealed. This is going on. His inmost heart and deepest realities, deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit who constantly explores all things. Let me read that to you from the Amplified real quick. You doing okay? This is the real Amplified, the old one, not that new one, which is very good too. I love this. Verse 10 says, Yet God has unveiled and revealed them, all these things that we couldn't figure out on our own, has revealed them through his Spirit. For the Holy Spirit searches diligently, exploring and examining everything, even, I love this, sounding the profound and bottomless things of God, the divine counsels and things hidden and beyond man's scrutiny. I love that verse. And it, I mean, it is Google on steroids. It is the, the Holy Spirit is sounding the deep things of God. Why? To reveal them to us. God's not hiding himself. He's not hiding his wisdom. He's not, he's wanting to bring us into that wisdom and to give us that wisdom and to help us live in that wisdom. He's not hiding that stuff from us. But we need to have this, we need to, if we have to change our theology, we have to change our theology to understand God never intended for us to just live this whole thing as a natural man that's going to heaven someday. He expected us to live it in this partnership with his spirit speaking things to us. And, and, and all of us have to learn how to hear what he's saying and all that, I get it. But we need to first start with the mindset of, Lord, you have so much more for me and I want it, okay? I want it, all right? And the question is, are you expecting God to reveal things to you on a daily basis? Are you asking him about the simplest, most natural thing? Are you asking him about the, you know, and again, I believe God wants to release this to us so that we can fix all kinds of problems, societal problems, environmental problems, machinery problems. God has wisdom for us, for all that practical stuff, as well as spiritual stuff. All right, verse 11. I've got 30 seconds left. I'm going to go over. Verse 11. After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for the person's spirit, right? None of us know your heart like you do. I can know you. I've known this woman for going on 40 years. And she still surprises me. You know, I, I, I know her pretty darn well. But I can't see inside of her. I can't see inside of her heart. Not like I know what's really in my heart. And that's what he's saying here. Nobody knows that except a person's own spirit. So it is with God. His thoughts and secrets are only fully understood by his spirit, spirit of God. The good news is, he says, for we did not receive the spirit of this world system, but the spirit of God, so that we might come to understand, which is a progressive work, and experience, understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. So he's saying, nobody, nobody knows your heart like your own spirit. We didn't get the spirit of the world. We got the spirit of God. So through the spirit of God, we can know the heart of God in the, in the same kind of depth that we know our own hearts more than we would know in somebody else. Does that make sense? And we shouldn't be in a position where we know the heart of the world better than we know the heart of God. If that's true, we're functioning in the spirit of the world because the spirit of the world knows the heart of the world. The spirit of God knows the heart of God 
we receive the Spirit of God. Does this make sense to you? So that should give us some confidence to walk in this. That should give us some confidence to realize, hey, I may not know what in the heck or how to handle this situation, but you know what? I have the Spirit of God on the inside of me. He's sounding the depths of God's heart. He's sounding and bringing up wisdom for me. I may not know what it is today, but I'm going to embrace that confidence. God will show me because it may be a mystery today, but he's revealing those mysteries. Okay. Verse, I'm going to go to verse 14. Someone living on an entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's spirit for they make no sense to him. We get really upset sometimes with people that don't know the Lord because they reject the, the things that we know and believe and know to be true about God. We get upset with that. We feel intimidated by that. They don't get it. Spiritual truth is spiritually discerned and spiritually recognized. Until a person's spirit is alive, which happens when they give their life to Jesus, they don't get it. It, does, it is foolishness to them. It doesn't make any sense the way that you live your life. It doesn't make any sense. So we shouldn't be mad at them. We should just be seeking to bring them into that same place where they connect with Lord Jesus. Their spirit comes alive. The Holy Spirit comes into them. And all of a sudden, oh, now this makes sense because of who he is. It, it makes sense. So do you, does that make sense? Do you get that? That, that person can't understand the revelations of the Spirit because they are only discovered by the illumination of the Spirit. And then final verse. All right, verse 16 should be one that you know so, so well. It says, for who, again, this is a question from the Old Testament, for who has ever intimately known the mind of the Lord Yahweh well enough to become his counselor? Christ has, and we possess Christ's perceptions. All right, so again, it's kind of that, you know, who has ever known, the Amplified reads, uh, but we have the mind of Christ and we hold the thoughts and feelings and purposes of his heart. You know, the question is, who could ever know the Lord? Christ. And Christ's spirit lives in you. So we have in the Holy Spirit, the mind of Christ and hold, right now, that's present tense, we do hold the thoughts, feelings, and purposes of his heart. I don't feel like that, but it's still true. I don't always feel like that. I don't know what to do, but this is true. You have the mind of Christ in the Holy Spirit. We've just got to learn better how to tap into it. And one of the big keys to receiving, if you want more revelation from the Lord, acknowledge and walk in what he's already revealed. Walk it, don't set aside what he already revealed because that's not what I was asking about God. No, whatever he's speaking to you, embrace it because that's the word you need right now. It's the word you need now and it's the word you're going to need. He had us praying this morning over the opportunities that he's, that are coming in the future that he's equipping us for today. All right, so whatever he's saying to you, embrace it. Don't understand some stuff, join the club but spend time getting to know the Lord, getting learning his voice, learning, make, make a huge, the first priority in your life, having time with God, having time in his word and time in his presence and getting to know him. And whatever it is he says, 
Embrace it, acknowledge it, say, yes, Lord, yes, I receive it. Treasure it. Yes, that's important. That's the word of God to me. And, and let it develop and produce and so walk in it in your life and he'll bring you to the next thing, okay? But when we keep shucking the last things that he said, it gets harder and harder to hear what he's saying today. I'll leave you with this. Jesus said, I have, he told his disciples, I have much more to say to you. I have so much more, but you can't bear it. Meaning you can't carry it. You can't, you're, you're not ready because they haven't, haven't been born again yet. He hadn't gone to the cross. You're not ready to bear it. But when he, the spirit of God, when the counselor comes, he will reveal, he'll lead you into the whole fullness of truth. Jesus told his disciples that it's no different for us today. He told his disciples, he told them, do not, after the cross, do not leave Jerusalem until the Spirit is poured out because then you'll receive power. When you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you will receive power to be my witnesses in the earth. All right? Before that, they had a good story. They had a great story. They'd been with Jesus. They knew, but he tells them in Acts chapter 1, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Don't try to go out and change the world until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we see that same pattern throughout the whole rest of the New Testament. So I encourage you in that this morning too. You need, if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's just another aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry for us. And we receive it just like we receive Jesus. We say, yes, Lord. You, I see it in the scripture and I want it. And, and so, Lord, I'm asking you. And I know you're not going to I know you're not going to give me something negative. You're not going to give me the plague. You're going to give me the Holy Spirit, okay? And I just encourage you in that. And if you want prayer for that or discussion about that, come on up afterwards. I have to let you go. But I, I just encourage you in this to live your life with the dependence on the Spirit of God for your life and for all of your input into other people. All right, let's stand up and pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that your heart and your will is being communicated here this morning by your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you continue to impact our hearts with the need, the absolute need for us to live in and by your Spirit. Lord, and as we go out into this community, we recognize you set us here. We're here. We're the church. Lord, we're here. We are not a powerless church. We are not ineffective people. Lord, you have given us influence in various places throughout this region, Lord, and, and, and others. And Father, as we go, we go as your people. And we choose to take every opportunity that you give to represent you and to represent you well. And Lord, we can't, we, we get it. We cannot do that from the flesh. And we cannot do that in our own beings, even as born again people. We need that continual influence of the Holy Spirit into our lives. We need continual revelation, Lord, about how to approach every situation, what to say, what to do, how to approach it, Lord. We need that wisdom. And so this morning we ask for it. We know you give it freely. And Lord, I just pray, help us develop our ability to hear you and to know you and to carry you and to impact the world with you. And we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Did you get anything out of this today? All right, so we're going to gonna say on the count of three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world will be dismissed. Oh, and so I think most, most of you know, I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm having this hip replaced on Tuesday. So that's going to be fun. And, uh, but actually really looking forward to the results of that. So if you happen to think about it on Tuesday, pray, just believe in God for 
great outcome. I know that'll happen. So anyway, but yeah, so I'll be out for a couple of weeks. I think Boyd's speaking next Sunday. And uh, then we have the guests coming in and, and all that. So anyway, it'll be good, but that's what's happening. And so any prayers you throw out there? Love it. Okay. All right. Let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord. Pray for Karen because she's the one that after I broke my foot, she had to do everything for a couple months. She's back at it. She's prepared this time. Let's, <laughs> let's say this on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.